0: spread the fire fam my goal for this channel has always been to create an ecosystem of voices beyond just my voice and i'm really excited that we are now introducing guest analysis on smwx where different voices can come use the platform that we have built together and analyze insightfully south africa's political landscape so have a look at this guest analysis video And if you think that you are someone who can give guest analysis on SMWX, comment down below and we'll get in touch with you as to how you can come, film your analysis, and be featured on SMWX guest analysis. Without further ado, let's get into it. What is actually going on in Zimbabwe? Is this election going to be any different? Is it a free and fair election? Is Emerson Nangoga the right leader for Zimbabwe or is it time for a change with someone like Nelson Chamisa? Let's have that conversation. The A lot of people want to know what went wrong in Zimbabwe and why Zimbabwe is a failed nation. A lot of people have tension, intellectual tension when they think about Zimbabwe because on the one hand, they think about people like Robert Mugabe and they think, wow, what a brilliant man with so many degrees. They think about all of the Zimbabweans that they've encountered and they think Zimbabweans are a well-educated people. But then at the back of their mind, and sometimes they may not be you know, aggressive enough to say it. They think, well, if Zimbabweans are so smart, if they're so brilliant, why is Zimbabwe a failed nation? Some people may think, why don't these people go back to Zimbabwe and, you know, fix their country like we fixed ours? Why are they cowards? Why are they only brave when they're in South Africa? These are questions that get asked. And in this episode, we'll look at Zimbabwe, look at the elections in Zimbabwe in 2023 and try to break down some of the questions you may have, some of the narratives you may have heard, and try to really get to the bottom of what's going on. My name is Jamie Mighty. I've been invited as a guest to give you this breakdown, and I am a political consultant and researcher based in South Africa. So the first thing that we're going to look at is the history of Zimbabwe. I want to start at the beginning of the democratic project in Zimbabwe, which was 1980. Zimbabwe has been a paper democracy since 1980 because there were elections in 1980. Robert Mugabe got elected and he won. And the problem started not long thereafter. Robert Mugabe had a political rival and that rival was a man called Joshua Ngomu. And as a result of some fear that Robert Mugabe had, he implemented a military project to suppress the Joshua Nkomo supporters in land, And as a result of that, a massive atrocity that is not discussed as much, but is still res- relevant, occurred. And that atrocity was called the Kukurahundi. In the Kukurahundi, The Zimbabwean army, a special unit of the Zimbabwean army known as the Red Berets actually went in to parts of Matabele land and killed young people. They killed families and over 20,000 people were killed. In the south of Matebele Land, a lot of people were not given relief for the drought that was going on. And as a result, they died from the drought. So if you were to actually try to estimate the number of people who were killed in the early 80s, it is difficult to come up with a definitive number. But it's very clear that many people were killed by the Robert Mugabe regime early on in that particular Kukurahundi period. Why is this relevant to today? Why is this relevant to any discussion of democracy in Zimbabwe? That action by the government had a chilling effect on free speech, on political freedoms. It had a chilling effect on activism in Zimbabwe because an example had been set that actually said to anybody... We can kill anybody. We can remove anybody from the equation. And that created a culture of fear in Zimbabwe from the early days. Emerson Mnangagwa, the current president of Zimbabwe, was involved in this. He was one of the people running uh, the operation of Gugu He was chairperson of the Joint Command. And he was Robert Mugabe's right-hand man and to put it in mafia terms he was a henchman for robert mugabe he was robert mugabe's enforcer if you will so that was the beginning of the problems that zimbabwe faced fast forward into the 90s zimbabwe was going through some difficulties again um the Global bodies of finance had asked for Zimbabwe to implement some structural readjustment programs. Those programs were not proving to be fruitful. Zimbabwe was also going through another drought, and the economy was not doing well. And at that particular point, another political figure rose to prominence in Zimbabwe. His name was Chenji Rai Hunzi. He was a doctor who had been trained in Poland. He came back to Zimbabwe, opened a practice in Harare, and started to actually give war veterans um, military documents that they could use to claim for disability and they were able to get disability grants from the government as a result of that. He grew very popular and made a play to become the chairperson of the war veterans um, in Zimbabwe. He was successful in that. When he was uh, now running the war veterans, they started to actually request that they be compensated for their role in fighting for the freedom of Zimbabwe. This was unbudgeted expenditure. They put a lot of pressure on Robert Mugabe. He could not afford to offend the war veterans and as a result of that he acquiesced to their requests in addition to that Zimbabwe joined the uh, military efforts which were occurring in the Democratic Republic of the Congo there was a war happening there Zimbabwe got involved it was very expensive and Zimbabwe actually started to have some disputes with the IMF and the World Bank around some of this unbudgeted expenditure because Zimbabwe had taken significant loans from these two bodies and the currency at that time was already weakening. As a result of this package given to war veterans and financial commitments made to them, and also as a result of the war in the DRC, Zimbabwe was in severe economic crunch and A situation occurred in November, which is referred to in the Zimbabwean economic market history as Black Friday. On that particular day, the Zimbabwean stock exchange was wiped out and the Zimbabwean currency started to lose a significant amount of value. That is when the Zimbabwean economy began to collapse and not as many would have you believe or only when the farm seizures occurred in the early 2000s so having said that the farm seizures in and of themselves were another critical moment in zimbabwean political history as the zimbabwean currency started to collapse and as war veterans finished the money that they had been given by the government they began to look for more and they began to make some demands and one of those demands was listen we actually want land that is what we need, and that is what will fix our problems. I'm truncating this history, and I'm truncating the role of some of the players, but what then happened is a significant number of people then started to go onto farms and seized those farms illegally. And Robert Mugabe was caught unawares and a little bit unprepared for this aggressive tactic and then he had to rubber stamp this particular move because he was in a politically vulnerable moment and he had to please the war veterans. So what then happened is that the land seizures in Zimbabwe went into full force. They then tried to justify them after the fact by talking about how Lanchester House had failed, which was true, and how the willing buyer, willing seller model had not led to massive purchases of property, which was also true. But what they omitted to mention was that what they were doing was not done under the auspices of the law, and many of those farm invasions were violent, many people had their houses burned down, some people were severely assaulted, some people were killed. There was a referendum in the year 2000 on the question of land and whether or not they needed to be an accelerated, fast-track land reform program. The ZANU-PF and the Mugabe government lost that referendum. And even though they lost the referendum to change the constitution to something that they wanted, they proceeded to encourage war veterans to seize land. That was the beginning of the acceleration of the end. From that particular point, farmers began to leave Zimbabwe in hordes, and as a result of the international outcry, Zimbabwe began to be a pariah in the international community. Many professionals began to leave Zimbabwe, doctors, engineers, nurses, the the likes of all of those professional sectors that you think of being essential to a state began to leave there was an election which was coming up in 2002 and the leading opposition party which had been recently formed was the movement for democratic change which was led by morgan swangirai who came out of the congress of trade unions but it was also a movement which had farmers as part of it professionals as part of it, and many members of the public who were unhappy with the performance of the ZANU-PF government for the past 20 years. The election in 2002 was marred with violence. Many people say that that particular election was rigged. There was another election which came up in 2008. Morgan Swangirai was running again as the leader of uh, the movement for democratic change. And something very interesting and troubling happened, which also became a critical moment in the history of post-independence Zimbabwe. Morgan Twangirwai won the election. He won the first round and he beat Robert Mugabe. What then happened is that for a month or so, the election results were not even announced. There was a lot of international apprehension. There was a lot of domestic apprehension. Lots of observers were worried about the election and violence was breaking out all across the country. The results were eventually announced with Tsangirai as the winner, but not with an outright win. So they had to be a second round, a runoff election, so to speak. Morgan Tsangirai pulled out of the runoff election and Robert Mugabe then won that particular race by himself, basically. The international community came in and negotiated for a government of national unity with Morgan Swangirai as the prime minister. Mugabe agreed to that, but made sure that he retained a lot of the key ministries, such as defense, for example. Within a year, Morgan Swangirai had left that position, accusing Robert Mugabe of not being cooperative and actually undercutting him. Things continue to deteriorate in Zimbabwe from 2000 up until now. And one of the indicators of that has been the exodus of uh, population from Zimbabwe. So to put it in perspective, one of the best um, sets of data that are available are coming from Statistics South Africa. In the 2001 uh, census that Statistics South Africa did, it indicated that there were about 1 million people living in South Africa who were not born in South Africa. By 2011, the number of people living in South Africa who were not born in South Africa were actually sitting at 2 million. From the last population media estimates from Statistics South Africa, they estimate that there are over 4 million people living in South Africa who were not born in South Africa. A large driver of that um, immigration came from the fact that Zimbabwe was collapsing as a democracy and also collapsing in other ways economically so if you look at the stats essay data one of the other uh, data points that they provide is that 40 percent of the population that is not born in south africa but living in south africa is from zimbabwe so if you extrapolate from that 4 million you can actually see that you have about 1.6 million zimbabweans by the stats essay data living in South Africa that is a significant number and it's a significant indicator of the effect of collapse on Zimbabwe and on surrounding countries. There is an estimate that has been published which says close to 25 percent of the Zimbabwean population is not living uh, in Zimbabwe. It's very difficult to verify that data but we can extrapolate from the stats essay data that about 1.6 million Zimbabweans are living in South Africa. Having said that let me take this opportunity just to give an indication of some of the key facts you need to be aware of when thinking about Zimbabwe and the upcoming election. Number one, the population is 16 million. 75% of the population is under the age of 35. The median age in Zimbabwe is 20. Youth unemployment is very difficult to determine, but is upwards of 80%. The urban population in Zimbabwe is 35%. The country is relatively rural and in addition to that, there are some data that has been collated around uh, the extent of poverty. Some reports indicate that 67% of all citizens in Zimbabwe live in poverty and 2 million live in extreme poverty. The inflation situation in Zimbabwe is so bad that some estimates from uh, Professor Steve Hanke have put inflation in Zimbabwe at in 2023 alone. Some other more conservative estimates put Zimbabwean inflation at over 150%. But in any event, whether it's 1,290 or 150%, it's very clear that Zimbabwean inflation is extremely high and is in a hyperinflationary territory. Having said that as well, there have been reports that have indicated that illicit cross-border financial transactions are costing Zimbabwe 3 billion rands a year. And in 2018, the Auditor General noted that 82% of government expenditure in Zimbabwe had financial irregularity in one form or Or another. That's just to put in context what we are dealing with when we say Zimbabwe is a failed state. The Zimbabwean currency right now cannot be traded, um, in many parts of the world because it's not a recognized currency. Because in 2019, Zimbabwe actually moved away from the US dollar and reintroduced the Zimbabwean dollar. But going back to 2008, after the was, um, government of national unity, Zimbabwe eventually went on to using the U.S. dollar as its currency and that stabilized Zimbabwe. In 2017, we witnessed a very extraordinary set of events in Zimbabwe which can only be classified as a bloodless coup. But it's very important to understand that it was indeed a coup. The military under the pretext of removing corrupt people around, Robert Mugabe orchestrated a coup and made sure that Emerson Mnangagwa would then emerge as the leader of ZANOPF and the president of Zimbabwe. In the following year, in 2018, there was an election, and in that election, Emerson Mnangagwa won the election. Who is Emerson Mnangagwa? As I said earlier, Emerson Mnangagwa has been Robert Mugabe's right-hand man for a long period of time, having served in various ministries such as defense for Robert Mugabe. And he was instrumental in the orchestration of the Gukurahundi. In addition, he was one of the people who was managing the election in 2008, where people said that there were electoral irregularities and corruption. The South African Observer Mission actually compiled a report, which is known as the Kampempe Report, which it turns out revealed that the zimbabwean election in 2008 was neither free nor fair so in 2018 um Mo, uh, emerson mnangaga was running against nelson chamisa who had taken over from um morgan Swangirai after morgan Swangirai had passed on and uh, the election result was disputed but emerson mnangaga emerged as the winner there were many irregularities but the international community seemed very keen to just accept and embrace emerson Nangagwa in the hope that he would be a better dictator than robert mugabe Those hopes were misplaced. Interestingly enough, I wrote an article in 2018 and I said a crocodile does not change its skin. Many people at the time thought I was being hypercritical, but it turns out I was right because I'm I'm about to tell you what then happened between 2018 up until now, which caused concern for Zimbabwe. From 2018, many people were told that Zimbabwe was open for business. They were told that Zimbabwe was turning a democratic page. One of the most interesting democratic developments was that Zimbabwe finally signed the African Charter for Democracy Elections and Governance. And that African Charter on Democracy actually prioritizes electoral freedoms. It prioritizes the rights of political parties to operate, opposition parties, you name it. However... In 2019, those hopes were disabused. And what happened there was, President Emerson Mnangagwa announced a fuel price increase of 150%, significant, in a country where people are already suffering from extreme poverty. People protested, and there was a draconian reprisal by the state. The internet was shut down for a period of time. The army was unleashed from the barracks. And what the Human Rights um, Watch report that was on this particular set of protests said was that Zimbabwe security forces used excessive lethal force to crush nationwide protests in mid-January. And in fact, uh, 17 people were killed and 17 women were raped by military forces in that time. That was actually not the only thing that happened. Since then, there have been attempts to intimidate opposition activists. One opposition leader right now is under arrest, his name is Job Sikala, on charges that seem very spurious. Um, Fadzai Mahere, an opposition leader, was charged at some point um, for participating in a protest. The world-renowned author, Tsitsi Dangarembo was also charged for participating in a peaceful protest. They were subsequently found guilty, but only fined. These are only some examples of how repressive the Zimbabwean government has been. In recent times, though, they've also passed what is known as the Patriotic Act. The Patriotic Act makes it illegal to criti- criticize the Zimbabwean government. It makes it illegal to call for sanctions on the Zimbabwean government. And the architecture of the law is worded in a vague manner so as to allow the government to use it for the arrest, the intimidation of people who are critical of the government. So it seems very clear that from the democracy front, there has been regression in the Zimbabwean electoral space even though Emerson Nangagwa said that Zimbabwe was open for business and signed the African Charter on Democracy. Going further, looking at the political environment now, One of the things that did not happen was the opening up of media access for opposition parties. Zimbabwe has one broadcasting corporation which controls a significant amount of um, the broadcasting space, the radio channels, as well as the one TV channel. And that channel has been restricted only to being a ZANU-PF propaganda am. So when I called Zimbabwe a paper democracy earlier, this is what I was talking about. Let's talk now about the 2023 election in and of itself. On the 23rd of August, Zimbabwe is going to an election. They will be voting for councillors. They'll be voting for members of parliament. They'll also be voting for the president. There are three candidates who are legitimately in the race and stand a chance. Those candidates are the following. Emerson Nangagwa, the leader of the ZANU-PF party, Nelson Chamisa, the leader of the Citizens Coalition for Change, as well as Xavier Kasukwere, who's running as an independent and is somebody who used to be a minister under the Robert Mugabe government and fled Zimbabwe during the 2017 coup that we discussed earlier. Interestingly enough though, Xavier Kasukwere, as things stand, is not going to be able to contest the election because a challenge was mounted on his credibility. And it is my view that this challenge has been pushed forward and promoted by the ZANU-PF to avoid his splitting the vote. Even though there are allegations of rigging in 2018, Emerson Nangago won by a very, very narrow majority of about 200,000 votes. So if you have somebody who was a pro-Mugabe young leader and savior Kasukuere, somebody who had uh, experience as the minister of youth who can go into the rural areas, there was a legitimate fear, it seems, from the ZANU-PF benches that this could actually collapse their campaign and create a credible threat for Mnangagwa, because it's not likely that the people who are voting for the Citizens Coalition for Change will shift over to Kasukwere, but it's very likely that those people who feel as if, number one, Robert Mugabe was betrayed by Emerson Mnangagwa, and two, that Emerson Mnangagwa is far worse than Mugabe, would actually go to someone like Xavier Kasukwere, who was in the faction, which was known as the G40 faction, along with... uh, Robert Mugabe's wife at the time. So that is where things stand now. Will the election be free and fair? This is a question that everybody is asking. In my humble opinion, this election already is not free, nor is it fair. ZANU-PF has had excessive access to state broadcasting. ZANU-PF has been able to campaign freely across Zimbabwe. But as we saw a couple of weeks ago, ZANU-PF was actually blocking uh, the Citizens Coalition for Change, the CCC, from holding electoral rallies using the police. It took international outcry for the police to then start to allow the CCC to campaign and have rallies. Some of the things that they actually said to block the CCC rallies were that the area that they were using didn't have roads and they they didn't have working toilets. And as a result of that, there was a risk of people getting cholera. They literally said that as a reason to deny them access to the rally considering that Zimbabwe is, as I told you earlier, 65% rural and rural areas typically do not have good roads. They typically do not have sanitation at the places where you're going to be having political events. It does seem as if it is an ulterior motive to prevent one political party from having its political events while the other party is having its political events in similar rural areas with the same challenges. They've since gone back on that particular decision. Uh, the Citizens Coalition for Change has been, uh, you know, mobilizing and having its rallies, which seem to have been well attended. But if you can only start to have your rallies in 30 days or 40 days before an election that doesn't indicate to me a free and fair and favorable political environment. They are still political prisoners in Zimbabwe to this particular point and that undercuts the credibility of the election in and of itself. And when I also think about the abuse of state apparatus by various um, leaders within the ZANU-PF. That does not seem to me to be a conducive environment for an election. So if you were to ask me if this election is going to be free or fair, I have serious concerns about that, and up to now there are still concerns about the accessibility of the voters' role in Zimbabwe and several inhibitions of political parties to be able to move around. As things stand right now, Kasukwere is challenging his elimination from the election, but it does not look like that elimination um, challenge will be successful because it seems as if the government is in control of the courts. These things do not bode well for Zimbabwe. In order for Zimbabwe to really begin to see economic prosperity and success. It's going to be essential for certain things to happen. One of those things that needs to happen is that the country needs to be recognized by the international community as a credible and stable state. You cannot do that while you're a dictatorship which is accused of money laundering, which is accused of being part of a gold uh, smuggling mafia and this is not the only uh, accusation because there was another report in 2021 uh, the 2021 study of cartel dynamics by daily maverick a south african publication which showed a lot of criminal behavior occurring within cartels in zimbabwe which were linked to the political party of the Zanu pf these things are troubling these things are worrying and these things make me concerned about whether or not Zimbabwe will have a free and credible election. Now, there's one final thing I wanna talk about uh, in terms of the Zimbabwean narratives. And that narrative is that sanctions are the reason why Zimbabwe is failing and Zimbabwe has failed. And if only, if only you could remove the big bad sanctions, then Zimbabwe would be firing on all cylinders again. It is true. There are sanctions on Zimbabwe uh, from countries such as America, but it's an incomplete story when you say that sanctions are the problem because number one, a lot of those sanctions are targeted sanctions on specific individuals, most of whom are very powerful individuals within the ZANU-PF. I invite you to go and look at um, all of the sanction legislation around Zimbabwe from the Americans and whoever else has them so you can familiarize yourself with actually the length and breadth of those sanctions. They are mostly targeted at individuals. Even if you remove those sanctions, it would not resuscitate Zimbabwe. Why? Because Zimbabwe is a corrupt authoritarian state. As a corrupt authoritarian state, a lot of the proceeds of the country are extracted by corrupt syndicates and corrupt elites. You are not going to be able to fix the hospitals. You are not going to be able to fix the schools. You are not going to be able to restore the credibility of the currency while you continue to have the corrupt leadership of the PF. And that's my personal opinion. So even if you remove the sanctions, you will not be able to fully um resuscitate Zimbabwe. But on the other hand, I do think that the sanctions are a necessary pressure point on the government of Zimbabwe. Without those sanctions, there would not even be any attempt whatsoever to correct the abusive behavior. They would be conduct with impunity by the government of Zimbabwe, which need I remind you has already shown that it is willing to oppress its people, to kill its people, and to frustrate its people's articulation of their political rights. Are the sanctions in Zimbabwe undesirable? Yes, they are undesirable, but they may be a necessary uh, condition right now to make sure that there is some progress by a government that otherwise would not make any effort whatsoever to achieve that progress. Well, I'm out of time now, so I'm going to wrap it up and say we probably will have another discussion about the election as we get closer to the day. And if you have any questions, comments, Please feel free to put them in the comments. Caesar will be there reading them. I'll show up. Otherwise, it's been a pleasure. Aye, aye. The Caesar and World 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 Experience, World Experience podcast. 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 Aye, aye. aye, aye. aye, aye, aye.